Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, friends, patriots, and countrymen to the one and only Conservative Review podcast, your only source of independent conservative news, views, analysis, and ideas from a truly independent perspective. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house Tuesday around midday, December 17th. And there is a lot of news in flux. These are the times that try men's souls. Um, This is when it all matters. These hours, these days, right before Christmas, when Congress bundles together a full year of governance all into one, or in this case, two bills that that in total are about uh, 2,500 pages long, and then they purposely vote on them within hours of dropping those bills. And we have a president who has a veto pen that wields a tremendous amount of power. He has a bully pulpit that he could use to marshal the American people on issues that are so easy to explain. Will it happen? As of this recording, the president has not announced any intention to sign or veto a bill. I'll monitor that throughout the show. But I will tell you that the White House was fully involved in negotiating this. So this is no surprise here. I've been noting time and again for three years, every single budget deadline, that this is what it comes down to. We won't pass anything. Even when they have all three branches, Republicans don't believe in anything, and they blame it on the filibuster. All the executive actions the president takes, the courts, the courts rule supreme. So it all comes down to the budget. What are your priorities? What are your spending priorities? What are your policy priorities? On the one side, you have a Democrat party and a liberal movement that it is monitoring every single issue of every single title from Homeland Security to justice, to commerce, to agriculture, to defense, to state, to the EPA. And they're making sure to get in as many of their priorities as possible. On the other side of the ledger, you have the Republican Party, which doesn't share any of our values, and they just look for random things that they care about. So hence, this is how we get a bill that not only increases spending by hundreds of billions of dollars, has massive special interest carve-outs in it, as always, but at a time when we have civilization problems with our system of government breaking down, where you have courts being empowered to nullify basic sovereignty and security laws on the books, when you have states like New York and now New Jersey giving benefits and shielding and harboring illegal aliens, the breakdown of of immigration enforcement in this country. No, there is none of that put into this bill. Nothing to address those issues. What is stuck in? Mitch McConnell had a burning passion to raise the tobacco purchasing age from 18 to 21. I mean, wherever your views lie on that issue and I certainly detest smoking. I wish it never existed. I wish I never would have to smell it. No one I know smokes. No one in my family smokes. I certainly don't need it. But that's a pretty big change. And that's something you would expect to have a long, transparent debate about 
on its own merits in an isolated bill. And here it's just stuck in a budget bill. No one even knows about it. Before I go through just the policy provisions, I just want to give you the broad picture here on process. I'm speaking to you not as a conservative, but just as any American citizen should and probably does think. We have our government running on CRs, continuing resolutions, where until they can reach an agreement on the full budget for all 12 appropriation bills, different departments, they autopilot the spending levels from the previous year. And that's how they avoid the dreaded government shutdown. And then this has become regular practice for years now. That they don't have the full, full bill ready on October 1st, the beginning of the fiscal year. They run anywhere from three to six months late. So there's no rush. This is what, they, what they've been doing. Any sane person would agree that when you are operating on that level and then you come to a backdoor agreement on not just the spending levels for every corner of government, but numerous new policies ranging from the tobacco age to healthcare to taxes to immigration, you name it, stuck in, you would think that you would simultaneously pass another CR two weeks, three weeks, six weeks, to have the status quo while the public discovers, much less has time to debate, the merits of the, all the new provisions put in. Any sane person would understand that. That is not a political um, statement. That is a, a nonpartisan statement I'm making that I think everyone would agree to. And that is the statement that Trump should issue today. Look, at its core, I was elected because I'm different. I wasn't a typical politician. I, I was driven by common sense. It makes no sense from a liberal or a conservative perspective to vote on something like that unless we have something to hide. There's no rush. Let's have a CR through Christmas. Maybe go four to six weeks. Send that to my desk. I'll sign it. We won't have a government shutdown. And then the president needs to build the case, which I've been begging him to build for six, for, for, for three years of defunding sanctuary cities and funding immigration enforcement at, at, the, at the very least. You know, Jefferson, in a, in a letter he wrote in 1820, decrying judicial supremacism. But I don't want to use this quote for judicial supremacism, even though, even though it's very pertinent. He, he, he made the following observation. I know no safe depository of the ultimate powers of the society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. This is the true corrective of abuses of constitutional power. And that's the thing. I'm not seeking some sort of quiet thing to get my proposals through. That would be nice some eminent tribunal of judicial supremacism, people coming up with a 2,500-page bill, changes covering all sorts of policies that no one's going to know about, seek to inform. And that's what the president needs to do. The president needs to educate. The president needs to highlight this. Every day, I would tweet out another absurd thing about this bill. And, and that's it. You know, the president promised... March, what was it, March 23rd, I think. Let me look at my notes here. I think it was March 23rd 
of 2018 when he signed a horrible, the first horrible budget bill. He said, um, but I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what's in it. 1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. Well, this bill is 1.4 trillion. They added on 63 pages of special interest tax extenders, which I don't even I haven't even read it yet. In middle of the night after they introduced the first part of the bill. There is no justi justification for the president to, to sign this bill. The point is, the public gets hyped up about whatever you hype them up about. You, know, you look at some of these town halls, they're hyped up about impeachment. But if the president would drive home the point every day that we have 3.3 million criminal aliens in this country, other countries' criminals remain in this country, they must be removed. These laws must be uh, implemented. The courts must be kicked out of this. Sanctuaries must be defunded. And ICE must be funded. Every day, everything that happens, and then highlight every day, there's endless numbers of these cases. Remember, ICE has enough detainers ac accounting for 2,500 homicides in one year. Plenty of things for Trump to go on. Every day, use the bully pulpit. I know, I know I'm shooting in the wind here. But I want to lay that marker down of what could be done, what should have been done. It doesn't have to be this way. This is so easy. I'm not asking him to do anything that's hard. So easy to do. Look, no one's read this. It's got so many changes in here, earth shattering changes. I mean, I mean, just picture what else is in this bill. I mean, changing the tobacco age, that's a big deal. Whether you support it or don't, that's a big change to put in a budget bill. Madison, Federalist 58, he talked about the power of the purse, and he said, This power over the purse may in fact be regarded as the most complete and effectual weapon with which any constitution can arm the immediate representatives of the people for obtaining a redress of every grievance and for carrying into effect every just and salutary measure. That budget process is controlled by three branches, the House, the Senate, and the White House, President. Republicans control two out of the three. For the first two years, they controlled all three. And every single time, we did not have anyone giving voice to our concerns. Random, random things put in there. So I just want to say before we go through some of the bullet points here of what's in there, what's not in there, I just want to note that the president needs, as I said before, I have a show that's titled this from last year, the bully pulpit, the veto pen, and executive authority. That's what the president needs to marshal. And that requires pushing back against the courts and or using the budget process through the leverage of a veto threat. And not just at the very end, but he needs to build this case for, for several weeks, at least beforehand, backing it up by the bully pulpit. If he does that, he'll have a successful president. If he doesn't, he won't. There's no middle ground because there's no other way. Let's say he has a second term. What's going to change? And here's the thing. Increasingly, it's unlikely 
that they're going to win back the House even if Trump wins the presidency. You have a lot of vacancies. You have the stupid courts, state and federal in any given place. Remember, the left, if they can't win in the feds, they go to state court. If the other side wins the state, they get go, get the feds involved. Either way, they win. Heads they win, tails they win. So that's how in North Carolina, they're going to lose three seats. But notice pretty much every single Democrat, except for that one that's switching, is voting for impeachment, even in districts where Trump won. Clearly, they're not feeling enough pressure on that issue. But if you would have had a sustained fight on sanctuary cities, there's a lot more evidence that they would have felt pressured either to give in on that or they would be defeated over that issue. So nothing's going to change. I'm going to get to the courts a little bit later, which are terrible. But this is it. The budget is everything. So, so what's in this? Obviously, it increases the deficit by $390 billion, um, also because it gets rid, you know, it's a lot of the tax loopholes here, whatever you want to call them. Um, and then it consummates the um, budget deal that they set in September that over the next two years will increase the budget in terms of spending by $320 billion. Now, with all the spending in this bill, I bet it's going to be a lot more than $320 billion because that was the original deal, but there's so much extra in here. But Democrats have a 14-page um, bragging sheet out. Um, if you go to the House Appropriation, or I'm sorry, Senate Appropriations Committee website, you'll see majority and minority staff. You go to the minority, which is the Democrats, they have a 14-page bragging document, fact sheet on all the victories they got. And what they note is that there's, quote, record spending record spending on everything trump promised to cut national institutes of health head start title one education child care and development grants all this stuff creating democrat votes nonsense the department of education is flush with cash man has that been expanded the pell grants epa massive increase when trump started epa's budget was about seven billion it's going to be up to $9 billion. That's a huge percentage increase. EPA's budget is now greater than that of ICE. And again, ICE is responsible for 3.3 million aliens under their custody. There's, there's over 2 million with pending final orders or final orders of, of removal. In addition to all of the new people that they're putting detainers on and catching. Again, I'm not into throwing money at anything, and it's mainly a policy problem. But because we have not abided by the policies, whether it's the executive branch or the courts, for the last number of decades, this has piled up. So you do need more resources for ICE. Of course, the bill throws record funding at opioid surveillance programs, the surveillance monitoring, where they basically threaten doctors and, and scare the hell out of them to prescribing prescription uh, pain drugs, hurting chronic pain patients, all the while promoting the drug cartels, which is the entirety of the problem. We've talked about that a lot. It sneaks in a 3.1% pay raise for federal workers, the biggest in a decade since Obama, the beginning of Obama's presidency. This is not just the military. This is the EPA bureaucrats. This is Everyone on my block working for Social Security that's off every other day. Um, 
And you look at their salaries. I mean, you know, I look it up online. You could look up their salaries. And it's like these, they, they, the benefit package is massive. The pension and the healthcare, and it's built upon a tax base that doesn't get that. Now, I'm not saying these guys make three, $400,000 a year, but with their experience and educational level and, and the intensity of the work that they do, they easily make 100, 115, even 120, 130 at a lot of these like basic computer jobs at Social Security. I'm just picking one because I have a lot of neighbors that, that, that work for them. In the private sector, that equivalent, they, they do not make that much. This is under Trump, 3.1% pay raise. And then, of course, nothing on expanding ICE, ICE's budget. I mean, there's a tiny baseline increase, but you know, when, when you have massive 10, 15% increases in Department of Education, I mean, this is what we'd expect. And at least if we're gonna have a bipartisan deal where everyone gets theirs, all right, so you get your non-defense garbage, at least we should get ICE spending. If this is going to be a, you know, remember, Republicans control two out of the three branches. Then we have, um, you know, obviously nothing on defense, like we said, for arming soldiers on bases, visas, nothing that speaks to any of the issues going on in the country. The worst provision, I want you guys to understand this, this provision alone should result in a veto, even if, you know, everything else not notwithstanding. Now, there's two bills. So this is the smaller one, the 580-page bill with DHS funding in it and DHS policy in it. Page 489 codifies the MS-13 trafficking loophole. Remember, I yelled about this in February. Dem that was supposed to be our bill to get immigration enforcement. We threw an interception. Trump threw an interception, signed a bill that snuck in a provision that we warned about before he signed it that invited prospectively illegal aliens in this country to self-traffic their family members, pay cartels, traffic them in as teenagers, be designated as UACs, unaccompanied alien children, that are resettled as refugees and reunited with their illegal aliens at taxpayer expense. This is illegal alien chain migration. And as a re reward for that criminal activity, they get shielded from deportation. ICE cannot put those sponsors of the so-called UACs into removal proceedings in most cases. And you speak to any ICE operative and they will tell you that that's a killer. Tom Homan was talking about that. I mean, he's retired um, ICE director, but that provision more than anything is responsible for MS-13 recruitment, because that's what's bringing in the teenagers from, from Latin America that are just fueling the ranks every day, every week, every month in Long Island, in Seattle, in um, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Maryland and Virginia, and North Carolina in particular, um, MS-13 recruitment and, and other uh, transnational gangs as well. The drug crisis, the gang crisis, that's how it all ties in. That, that provision does more to increase crime, drugs, and gangs than anything imaginable. That's a massive amnesty provision. You know, like, oh, we blocked amnesty under Trump. No, 
That was passed. And they're like, Daniel, it's not as bad as you think. It won't be there. It's just for the just until September. Well, now they codify it for another year. And that will de facto become permanent. That provision alone is the single worst thing that you need to call your Republicans in Congress, Senate, and the White House to, to vote against, and in and, and the president's case, to veto it. So there's that. Section 704, this is page 414 of the bill. It appears to invite in illegal aliens to apply for federal jobs. Now, this is not new. They've had it in the last few, but it's important to mention. So they say um, you have to be a citizen to apply for a federal job or an LPR. And then they add in or a person who owes allegiance to the United States. What does that mean and who gets to determine it? Well, the bill says affidavits signed by any such person shall be considered prima facie evidence that the requirements of this section with respect to his or her status are being complied with. Now, for several years, the left has been trying to get DACA recipients, illegal aliens, um, the ability to apply for federal jobs and the 3.1% pay raise while they're at it. This provision, again, it is in the current budget bill, but this needs to be taken out. These are the type of things that Trump needs to publicize and expose and fight. It's in there. Section 405, page 467, creates a new provision called an immigration detention ombudsman. So while we have endless crime drugs from criminal aliens that are being shielded and harbored by sanctuaries, nothing in the bill addresses all of the obstacles to ICE. Instead, it treats the illegal aliens as the victims and ICE as the perpetrators. So it creates like this new oversight to an endless um, mandates on ICE and the ombudsman to, to create reports and hand to Congress the all information on the treatment and detention of, of illegal aliens. That's all in there. All, all the garbage you hear from the left, that's codified in there. Then they stick in the other bill. This is the 1773 page bill, although now it's more like 1900 or something because they added to it. This is the non-DHS bill. They stuck in a DHS provision, doubling the number of H-2B visa um, or, or giving DHS the opportunity if they want to double the number of D of H2B visas. H2B are the low-skilled non-agricultural workers, um, like you know, hotel workers or something like that. Um, again, more public charge, more low-skilled people being brought in under Trump, um, and giving the DHS secretary the discretion to do so. As you all know, the acting DHS secretary is Chad Wolf, who is literally a worker visa lobbyist. Um, he said he was going to recuse himself from H-1B, but then he kind of went back on that and he hasn't rec recused himself. So there's that. Other thing that's important, big national security. The Corporate Welfare, Welfare Export Import Bank is extended for seven years. This, as you well know, is Boeing's private piggy bank from taxpayers to basically subsidize Saudi Arabia to buy Boeing's products. So that had to be in there. Seven year extension of of the flood insurance, which is broken as anything. Everyone agrees that. Then it has healthcare provisions. Now, I always like when I demonstrate a certain thesis on politics to come back to it and prove to you an example, a real live example as it happens. We talked the other day about low-tax socialism, how Republicans have 
not only helped grease the skids for open borders, cultural Marxism, and but also fiscal Marxism, but they've done that paired with low taxes. So our broad fiscal system, the regulations, the market distortions, the subsidization, the artificial monopolies created by government, that's all socialist, but unlike with Europe, it's built on low taxes. So what they did with Obamacare, you might hear this news, they repealed the Obamacare taxes permanently. There are temporary repeals, now they're permanent. Um, the uh, repeal of the so-called Cadillac, the tax on Cadillac insurance plans, these are the high premium plans that cover everything. Um, the medical device tax, um, and then another tax that's, I'm just forgetting it right now, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's three of them that are repealed. And But here's the problem. This bill extends and even expands all of the subsidies and healthcare programs, extends them it, um, without any reservation. It has a bunch of provisions limiting some of the regulatory reform that Trump's HHS tried to impose upon Obamacare. Um, it expands the federal Medicaid matching funds for U.S. territories like Guam and Virgin Islands, Samoa. Um, by roughly 50%. So what it does is it gives the industries everything they want. Low taxes, lots of subsidies. The reason why this is so bad is because it's the worst of all worlds. What, what's one of the things we said about low-tax socialism? The industries, the special interests, want a very narrow set of things. And once they get that, then they'll agree with the Democrats on everything. The one thing they disagree with the Democrats are on tax increases. So the Democrats, for all their talk of socialism and hating corporations, you know what's funny? Almost all of them are going to vote for this, right, for the corporations, because this gets them off their backs, and now they could turn around and enforce Obamacare fully, without any reservations. See, this was the one point of leverage we had over the healthcare cartel to hold out for more substantial repeal of Obamacare on what actually matters in terms of the Medicaid, the subsidies, and the regulatory scheme. But instead, what this does is it gives them what they want. So now we're done. We'll never have any leverage to get them on board. And then, of course, we have a provision. I want you guys to think about this. We have a rebellion, a neo-Confederate rebellion in this country against immigration enforcement that affects our sovereignty and security beyond belief. That is the, you have that occurring right as we have a budget bill. So shouldn't that be a clamor to put in anti-sanctuary legislation, cutting off funding as one of the priorities? Nope. But Mitch McConnell comes in and takes for the federal government the one thing that legitimately belongs to the states and that is setting the tobacco age. Right, I mean, you know, we talk about drugs a lot that is very national in scope. It comes from the border. It's international. So you could say that's more of a federal issue. I know some people might disagree on that. But tobacco setting the age? I mean, if, even if you think it should be raised, it should be done at a state level. Think about this. This bill does nothing, nothing to change our mission in Afghanistan. It adds another $4.2 billion to train the Afghani military when the Washington Post published the Afghanistan papers that show the perfidy of this entire issue. So now we'll, we're going to have 18, 19-year-olds 
sent into the meat grinder in Afghanistan for a war that began before they were born. Yet, to deal with the stress, they won't even be able to smoke a cigarette. That is our government in action. It doesn't have to be this way. This, these minutes, these hours are exactly when we need a conservative movement. The president would listen tomorrow if Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, among a few others, would say what I'm saying. He would listen like that. He would follow this. But there's no one of greater stature than me making these play calls, and that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Just know it doesn't have to be this way. Bully pulpit, veto pen, executive powers, this is it. No one has explained to me how we're ever going to get better results. And again, ironically, you're not going to win the House. As it stands now, it is nearly impossible for the Republicans to win back the House. Even if it winds up being a good year in the president's elected, if you just look at the map, it's very difficult. You need a civilization issue to harness in a budget battle. And this is the way you do it. You demand a clean CR. Democrats don't have a leverage to balk at a clean CR and shut down the government over Christmas. They don't have the leverage to do that. It's, it's not going to happen. And the president builds the case every day. I know you can't win on everything. Pick one issue. I think it should be sanctuaries. One issue. Because remember, a lot of the other things he could do on his own, arming the soldiers on the bases, cutting off Saudi visas, he's not doing because he wants that, because he appointed jerks to run the Department of Defense. But there's the issue there. I want to read to you an article from BuzzFeed, from, I'm sorry, BizPack, that says everything. Everything we're talking about, it's the keys to the House. Ousted, um, now this was, this article is, it's old, but I just discovered it. It's from 2017. But I felt it's a great day to re, you know, re-up this. I love this title. Ousted Eric Cantor, who was the former House Majority Leader, admits Obamacare repeal battle cry was a ruse to win elections. He says, to give the impression that if Republicans were in control of the House and Senate, that we could do that when Obama was still in office. I never believed it, he said. I never believed it. Here's the dirty little secret. They never believed they would do it with control of all three branches. And indeed, they didn't do it. That's the secret sauce here. Elections are an end to themselves. They're an end to themselves. That's it. They use talking points to get elected. Democrats use elections to implement their policies. The end to Republicans is winning elections. But ironically, they don't even do a good job of that because they don't harness the right issues. And then certainly they don't pursue them after the election. But there's nobody in the so-called movement that holds them accountable for it. I want to read to you an article that demonstrates my point 
there's an article called Trump's Yes Men. And, you know, it's written from their perspective out of Axios, David Nathan Jonathan Swan, from uh, earlier this week. And it's a profile of OMB acting director Russ Vogt. Now, in full disclosure, Russ is a, a friend of mine, as well as his wife, Mary. We worked together in, in uh, previous capacities. Great people. And I, I said, you know, look down the roster of Trump's cabinet. How many are MAGA? The only one I could find is Russ Vogt. And it talks about how Russ turned OMB into a vehicle to push for Trump's priorities as much as they can. And, and just read this article and you'll see that's what we're lacking in almost every other aspect of the government. The problem is OMB doesn't get the say over most issues. You know, if they get the green light, they could try to, you know, push it. But um, it just goes through how, um, you know, they've, they've really steered policy in that direction. Russ Vogt wakes up every day and says, what could I do with the power I have to make the best on spending priorities and policies? Few others are doing that. And again, you know, they're just trying to implement the things that Trump promised. But Trump himself is not going to fight for it if other people don't join it. That's just the reality. So um, look at this. Behind the scenes, some officials treat Trump's frequent venting sessions as a storm that just needs to blow over, or in some cases to be contained. Think Gary Cohn, the president's former top economic advisor, stealing a document off Trump's desk that if signed would have ended the United States-Korea free trade agreement. Others, like Vote and his team, take the approach that Trump is the president and he has the right to get what he wants if there's any legal way to get it done. And in their view, there usually is. Quote, we view ourselves as the president's Swiss army knife, said Vote. How do you come up with options that work and then talk through the pros and cons? And that's what we do every day. And look, you know, at a, on a small level, you have some other people doing this, like Ken Cuccinelli, but Ken is not in the cabinet. He's deputy secretary of DHS. He's also, by the way, still acting head of USCIS at an agency level. And, and, and he did have a good um, rule they just implemented, came out earlier this week, where, as we well know, in order to be a citizen, this is a principle since seven, 1790, you have to be in good moral standing, good um, good behavior, good character. And they listed a whole bunch of things that are going to disqualify you from that, like, you know, credit card fraud and identity theft and different, you know, different crimes like that, that they're being naturalized right now. And that's great. And, 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 and you see the difference when we have a few good personnel with their eye on the ball and focusing on as many policy changes as we can make. But still, those good policies are, are very small in scope relative to the enormity of the illegal immigration that's taking off. If you look at what New York, New Jersey, California, every sanctuary jurisdiction, even within a red state, is doing, it's one mass amnesty. If you look at the MS-13 provision inviting all sponsors of chain migration, illegal immigration with the cartels, amnesty 
signed by Trump in February. It's in this bill. That's worse than any positive thing. For every one step forward we take, we take two steps back. This is the problem. Everyone's going to make all these excuses. Well, Democrats wanted to abolish ICE. Well, that's not in the bill. Well, they wanted no funding for any wall at any time, and the baseline funding is still there. I mean, you know, that that's the thing. But they don't understand on any measure the left wins civilization battles in all three branches of government and in the states while we come up with a temporary talking point. That's the problem. I didn't even get to the courts. We'll, we'll get to that tomorrow. Um, so much more going on on that front where courts are just screwing us left and right on criminal issues on, obviously, as we said yesterday, um, creating a constitutional right to uh, camp out and sleep on public streets and defecate on public streets. Um, this notion that a conservative Supreme Court will overturn 50 years of bed made up constitutional rights, made up precedent. They're not even reversing new, current, radical constitutional rights created by the Ninth Circuit. And we see this all the time now. What a joke. What an utter joke. But again, I want to get back to Jefferson's quote that we started with. The, I, you, you can't get around the people. you got to open it up to the people. And I'm not the biggest, or I don't have the biggest faith in, in a lot of the citizenry. But given that what the left wants to do is so radical, there still are enough people that we could educate if you just inform them on what's going on. But they have to know what's going on. And that's where these budget fights and the bully pulpit and the veto pen all intersect. This is why the president needs to discover that veto pen right here right now anyway we're almost out of time here and i just want to mention just one point before we recorded today i saw from our friend jessica vaughn of center for immigration studies she showed how in massachusetts massachusetts where you have this sanctuary law created by the courts courts just federal judges said ice is not allowed to make arrests in in courthouses since then the number of ICE apprehensions in total in that area dropped about 80 per day. And remember, these are people by definition. If you're at a courthouse, I mean, you're being charged for something. It's not immigration. It's, it's, it's rape, robbery, murder, um, drugs, DUI, you name it. And that's where they get them. So the left is winning. I mean, you could every conservative commentator will the the few minutes they spend on substance they'll they'll agree with me yeah sanctuaries are terrible but they're not terrible i mean they are but they're winning is what they are the results are showing and they're winning this is happening under trump at the end of the day all trump has left is to harness budget fights especially if he doesn't want to push back against the courts unilaterally to harness it in the budget to have um, provisions in the budget pushing the courts out of these issues, provisions in the budgets going after sanctuary cities. And you have, uh, you know, several months before budget deadline, you have a public fight over it. Every day you give power to it, you give speeches, you give examples, and you build the case and you pressure, you, you run ads against uh, uh, Democrats elected in red states or, or House districts. That's how you do it. That's what a movement does. This is what the Republican Party always did. They ran Willie Horton ads, even if they didn't mean it. 
and they wouldn't do anything after the election. They at least wanted to win the election. That's all I ask for. You know, like I just saw Charlie Kirk tweeted out something, this point, one of the points we made that, oh, we're giving $4.2 billion to the Afghani military. And, you know, Steve tweeted at him, hey, like, you know, the president could veto it. And I tweeted at Steve. I said, yeah, and people like Charlie Kirk have the president's ear. I mean, I, I don't. But all these people, several others have, you know, they haven't talked about it much, but they've mentioned something. Oh, it's a terrible omnibus bill. Well, they act as if like they're a spectator. I mean, the president has unilateral veto authority. Everyone's focused on, oh, call your member of Congress. Well, you know, just one of 100 in the Senate, one out of 435 in the House. The president has veto power. And again, the, Repub the Republicans are only supporting it because they think, rightfully so, he's supporting it. But if he would say he's against this, they wouldn't, McConnell wouldn't bring it to the floor. The president should say, Mitch McConnell, you start out in the Senate. Don't wait on the House like you always do. You act first. Bring a clean CR to the floor. But then the intention of the president should be building a fight. But that's what I'm telling you. If this doesn't happen, status quo, and this is worse than status quo because it keeps a lot of bad provisions and adds a lot of bad provisions, but I'm saying status quo helps the left because the left is winning. You look at those lines in New York and New Jersey where the illegals are cheering on our soil. They don't belong here. They're stealing from us. Our laws duly passed by Congress say they shouldn't be there and they're getting citizenship documents. They're winning. They're winning all the time. This is, this is so dangerous. But yet results don't matter. I mean, this is the, a theme I'm going to keep dogging the next couple of days. Um, we're pretty much out of time. And I just, just yeah, one, one other thing. I have so many things on my list on illegal immigration. Pew came out with a report um, earlier this week comparing the number of illegal aliens and the character of illegal aliens in Europe to America. And when they say Europe, it's the entire Europe, not one country, comparing the entire Europe to America. And they estimate a, somewhere between 3.9 and 4.8 million illegals in the entire Europe. Now, they have a lot of bad illegal immigration that they brought in. But what people forget is, now, according to them, it's funny, the number in America keeps sliding back. They said 12, 11 million, now they're like 10 and a half million. It's not true. Federation for American Immigration Reform estimates about 15 million. Um, when Steve King asked Kirsten Nielsen when she was DHS secretary, you know, she said, wait, you know, I'm, I'm hearing 12 million, but then I'm hearing 20, 24 million. Um, and she said it's likely exactly in the middle of that. So I would say 15, 16 million is the accurate thing. That's a, that's a heck of a lot more than Europe. And this is what we forget with the refugee resettlement. We have refugees. See, no country has the illegal immigration we have, as well as broad legal immigration numbers. So when they come and say, oh, we need to accept refugees. Well, our entire legal immigration system is low-skilled family chain migration, a.k.a. humanitarian. That's really what it is. And what about all the illegals? You can't double, triple, quadruple, quadruple dip. But nobody's making this point. And the way to make that point is to educate the public. The way to educate them is to have a budget 
battle over something of magnitude, of intensity, of duration that we see with impeachment. Everyone has something to say about impeachment. We should have a dynamic where everyone has something to say about us harboring other countries' criminals. It's so easy to do. I know you guys are going to groan. and You're not going to be happy with me, but um, the last show of the year will be Friday. This week will be the last week. We're off all Christmas um, up through New Year's. We will still have written content, and I'm still, you know, except for obviously um, Christmas and New Year's itself, everyone's off, but I will have written content, so I'm going to double down on Twitter, my written content. You'll still have my updates. You know, maybe I'll even add more written content. But in terms of production, um, the DC team is off. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be working that whole time, but, you know, it is what it is. I can't force them to work. So Friday will be the last show. We're going to have to make the most of this week. Um, But let's start preparing for next year, what we want to do to make things better, how we could improve as as a movement together, how we could improve as a grassroots um, town hall that this show has become, and how we could better network and achieve policy victories, achieve results. Because I'll tell you, nobody else cares about results anymore. And therein lies the problem. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.